Can you introduce yourself and describe what you do? Hi, I am Ryder Rips. I'm a conceptual artist and creative director. And creative director? Yeah. What's I'm Ryder. What? What does that mean, creative director? Oh, well, <clears throat> I uh, separate the uh, two, two aspects of my practice as being art and creative direction because creative direction is when I work with other people to help them uh, realize their dreams and business aspirations and apply my conceptual abilities and um, technical abilities to, uh, to to facilitate something that is outside of uh, my own objectives and um, to facilitate something that is someone else's objectives. So it's more of my commercial work and such, but art is reserved for uh, more expressing emotion and uh, taking the place and filling the gaps that uh, aren't necessarily defined by other people. You've done a lot of collaborations, though, with your artwork as well. You know, that's not a, a singular act either, <clears throat> is it? Mm -hmm. It's not a singular act? No, it's not something you do. You don't create in a bubble. You know, you, you don't. Your, your paintings, for instance, um, I'd love to talk about those a little bit, and and maybe you could you could uh, talk about the ways in which you collaborate with other people. Um, well, for me, art is uh, entirely reserved for uh, emotion, and it's it's reserved for selfish acts, and it's reserved for the things that uh, are huge question marks in life: uh, the experimentation the uh, unknowing of uh, how it will be received or why it was created in the first place other than just the uh, gumption of uh, someone and feeling like the need to uh, have the conceptual alacrity to uh, actually produce this thing and see it through and, and create it. Um, so for me, the, the art that I create, uh, whether it's paintings or performance, or websites um, or poetry is uh, reserved for things that I don't want any third party to have uh, control or mediation of. Um, they're more of reflections, uh, more of therapy. Uh, and I, I think, you know, in this day and age, the internet is a great place to uh, supplement the role of a therapist where, where you can divulge. Uh, and express everything um, in your life and uh, have an audience to see it and get attention. And that's the way we, you know, interact with, with, with things. And I think that's how artists use galleries in the past, um, you know, as, as, a, as a form of therapy uh, in order to, to the need to express and, and to, to throw your emotion onto a physical form and, uh, onto a wall and now that same interaction is uh is is decentralized and uh exists virtually um and so for me you know i i find um it quite it's quite easy to go between my <clears throat> artistic practice and my uh professional practice within the same space uh as there are so many urls online can you can you sort of start at the beginning? You know, can you um, can you explain where <coughs> where it started for you? I mean, uh -huh. uh, you from what I understand, you know, you really started with internet art. You know, you were known as an internet artist. Sure. Can you talk about what that means and and yeah, where you started. 
Um, yeah, I mean, so uh, when I was 10, um, I first went on the computer and I didn't have many friends and I just immediately uh, responded to this curious, unknown, vast world of, uh, of uh, where, where you could really become whoever you wanted to become and um, go from one point of information to another very quickly. And at that time, it wasn't so quick because it was all dial-up. Um, and so I think from there, I started, you know, finding out about like a hacker sort of culture and got really into not so much the actual uh, programming aspect of hacking, which I do do as well. And I did learn HTML when I was 10. But I, I remember gravitating more so to the uh, visual aspect and seeing how people could come together through uh, visual gestures and aesthetics and defined niche cultures, um, which is something that has been going on for millennia. But online, perhaps it's more exciting, um, or especially at that time when all these tools that people were creating these new aesthetics from were uh, totally new. And, you know, nothing before had looked like that. And so I started getting really into using Photoshop and using all these like garish filters to create, you know, lightning and like smoke effects and like all this, you know, kind of silly, um, cyber aesthetics of, uh, that, that at the time was, was, was very fantasy. And now if you look back at it, it's, it's quite cool because it, it it's, it's, uh, quintessentially, uh, something that comes from a computer as opposed to something that is trying to simulate reality. I think at that point when it was being created, uh, people actually wanted to be able to make 3D landscapes and things like that. But now, um, it's quite beautiful just as a, a product of the, the computer only and computer culture only. And so I got into that. <clears throat> and then, um. Wait, 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 wait. Stay there for a second. Are you, are you talking about like the, the way in which art references the real world all the time, this Plato's cave thing, and th this, it's a really interesting line to take, especially with digital or internet art, right, that, that it has no reference in the real world, is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, I think um, upon, upon uh, 10 years of reflection, uh, the aesthetics of the computer are beautiful as they're, they're quintessentially alien. Um, when computers were developed <clears throat> and uh they they were you know computer graphics were was was mostly used to facilitate uh things mimicking reality so for instance if it was a uh, a superhero jumping from one building to another you wanted that to look as real as possible or if it was um you know a light burst around a sunset you wanted that to look as uh, real as possible and mimic the uh, contour of a specific lens or something like this. But then we realized that the idiosyncrasies of the computer themselves were more honest and they were actually what we were looking at. We weren't looking at um, a guy jumping from one building to another. We were looking at a computer-generated version of that. And so perhaps the artifacts um, of that generation are more uh, substantial and more true than the uh the product itself um or the intention itself and so i think that's you know when when you look at <clears throat> the uh 
the novelty of, for instance, 8-bit graphics and Atari and things like that. It's, it's, it's not, you know, at that time, they, they, they were trying to make it as good as possible within the limitations of the uh, technology, but then it becomes beautiful because of those limitations and uh, in, a, in an unforeseen way. And so there's this, this is great um, duality between man and machine that is actually creating the uh, honest depiction of uh, the times. And the honest depiction of the time is, you know, at that time it was, you know, you could only hold eight kilobytes of memory onto a cartridge or whatever. And, you know, we had to work within that or, uh, you know, a sprite could only be this X amount of pixels big or, you know, all these kind of limitations actually <clears throat> were not so much um, limitations rather than true depictions of uh, reality. And so um, to me, that that's what is beautiful about uh, technology and aesthetics is, is, it's not so much trying to simulate anything, but when you can come to terms with the, the fact that the lack of simulation and the fact that, uh, it doesn't look perfect is the actual truth. And you're looking at something that is uh, a more honest depiction of reality than if it did look perfect. Um, and I almost think if it, if it ever does look totally perfect, um, then, you know, the, the, then, then, then the, that would be something that would be, uh, uh, it would, it would be, it'd be worthwhile to, to, to deconstruct it. Perhaps if it, if the, if the output looks perfect, it would be good to, to then look at the input and then, uh, you know, see how people are making it on computers or see how people are rendering it in, uh, in these giant server farms in India. And perhaps that would be a more honest depiction of, uh, reality. For me, um, you know, technology is is based purely in reality. So, with with regards to sort of the the path that you've taken, you you started and you only made work that existed online, and now there are um, there's a body of work of, of paintings that I'd love to to talk to you about, um, and maybe you could just describe them and and how you create sure. them. So yeah, I mean, art has always been a big part of my life. My dad, uh, Rodney Rips, uh, had a illustrious art career at one point. My mom's a designer and my dad was a, um, an abstract painter in the late seventies, early eighties. And my parents had their portraits by Warhol. And I grew up very much, uh, around art my whole life. And I've always wanted to be a part of that, uh, world and express myself within the trajectory of art history and, uh, the language of paint. Um, although I feel that painting today is pretty irrelevant, uh, in the sense as, uh, uh, as, as the, uh, romanticized version of the male painter, um, which is like a, a scrappy guy, you know, with like, uh, you know, muscles and like, uh, you know, the big sexual prowess and, uh, you know, womanizer and like, you know, with like paint all over himself who like, you know, just has, has, has no sort of, uh, uh, connection to to anything except himself um and is just expressing you know with with this with this prowess and aggression i think that 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 archetype is uh, no longer relevant so um you know i have to rethink uh how how things are produced within a uh, world where we uh are all alone together on our phones doing this all the time you know we're just swiping it's a swipe world um so, you know, the, my paintings are based on this one particular model who, uh, is, she, she has, um, uh, 
she has allowed um i think a lot of a lot of truths are exposed through her pictures the fact that um beauty is now arbitrated by brands she is a uh, a model who gets paid by uh nike and supreme and some other brands to uh seamlessly peddle their brand porn into the instagram feed and so in doing that um many of the aesthetics that are uh commonplace now and uh in in expressing some sort of sense of genuineness or uh some sense of like not that that things are not contrived that things are natural um i think is is uh is very much overt through her uh photos and something that is uh in, in some way accentuated further because she's doing it on a professional level. And so she takes these meticulous photos uh, where they're staged things like uh, maybe she's tying her shoe and it happens to be a Nike or maybe she's in mid uh, in mid in a run. She's 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 running or she's drinking water or something like this. Um, it's all these shots that are supposed to feel unplanned, uh, unstaged and feel natural. But um you start realizing how forced they really are. And uh, this started making me feel some sort of uh, like, 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 like I should like I should expose that fact. And so what I started doing is um, exposing it through accentuating different aspects of the photos through warping and distorting the photos um, with an app on my phone. And I, and I would and I would warp and liquefy the pixels and bend them and then um, I just kept doing that and putting it on Instagram and I saw that it was getting a lot of likes. And so then I said, I started, you know, I didn't even set out to originally paint them. But then I started thinking about like Francis Bacon, who's, who's one of my favorite artists and uh, Thomas Hart Benton and Dali and this form of, uh, th this warped reality, uh, is very, is very conducive to the medium of oil. And so I decided um, it would make sense to get these uh, these these images that I've been creating translated to oil paint. And so then I got them sent out, uh, and I had uh, five different people who I never had met uh, paint these things. And I finally decided that I would get uh, Jeff Koons' assistance to paint them. How did you get Jeff Koons' assistance to paint them? Uh, you know, everyone is just it's just Facebook, you know. What? So you just put up an ad, and and you were like. It's like, you know, I'm friends with someone who's friends with someone else. Who is, knows Jeff Koons? Is that a is that a a fight to legitimize them? Um is that a fight to legitimize them? Yeah, so you say Jeff Koons is just painting them. So <laughs> does that make them somehow Well, it's funny. Um people have it, it it does. It does legitimize them. It's not a fight to is that not a sad indictment of the art world? It is a sad indictment of the art world. It's that that to me is is what's most interesting about your practice and about digital art in general. You know, you look at um the first digital art PhD program in the country was in Seattle. Um and uh it they're trying to say science and art has always been uh they've always played hand in hand, but now let's let's do a DX arts program, right? Mm. Um and this is a move for you, uh, reads like a real, like a fight, like a, I'm, yes, I've made internet art forever, but look, I can make physical objects as well. And I can do them with Jeff Koons' assistance. So pay attention. You don't see it that way though. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, um, 
I think any kind of artist um, who is creating work that is intangible, whether it be performance art, conceptual art, internet art, has to fight. Um, I think today's fight is within a uh, attention economy. So the way most people gain uh, recognition, which uh, tangentially gets transferred into money, supposedly, um, is through getting attention for projects. And so people are expected to create things for free um, and post it and get, you know, if it gets a lot of likes or whatever, then it's valuable. And then somehow that translates into monetary value. Um, and so by saying that I have Jeff Koons' assistance paint it, I am trying to uh, raise awareness uh, of of these of these uh, really contradictory things that I think exist in the world. Where, for instance, people have a huge problem with the fact that I don't paint them with my hand, but there's nothing um, there's nothing relevant about that anymore. Especially in 2014, where you know Duchamp had already proven that art can be. Um, anything that people say it is um, and it has nothing to do with you know especially in the practice if I don't paint them myself there's probably a reason for that and people should consider the idea of it it's the idea that's going to be lasting not the physical object so for me creating physical objects is um, a way to uh, monumentalize something and show its importance and relevancy in a way that it's like I really care about this enough to put it in a gallery to have it be confronted with you physically. And I think there's no escaping the uh, corporal aspect of life. So uh, we might be able to understand concepts and understand uh, literature or, you know, understand most media through a uh, Instagram photo or a Facebook post or a blog post or an ebook or whatever like that. But, um, there's still we still have we still have these bodies that we're in and so by creating a painting or creating some sort of sculpture that that exists in a way that's larger than the bot that than your own physical body it has a natural um draw to, to a point where it, it will draw people in and get people to think about the idea more than um a photo on on instagram which is a six, 600 by 600 pixel square will that you can easily scroll by and so by um, confronting people with with these ideas physically um, and, and recontextualizing things in a physical manner um, th th that are ideas that originated through digital uh, worlds and putting them in physical worlds, I think it, it, it helps emphasize uh, the importance and the uh, the facts of of reality today. And so so that's that's pretty much. The intention of of recreating the, the physical and, and and I think there are a lot of um, contradictions uh, in the expectations of 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 the public of art, um, you know. And, and I think Damien Hirst uh, with the dot paintings is trying to illuminate a lot of that as well. Just being really um, cynical, I guess, for a second. Uh, doesn't it also give you something to sell? Of course, <clears throat> that's an extremely important part. Um, but, you know, I really wouldn't just create shit to sell. Um, and that's, that's partially why, you know, like the agency I have, we make, uh, 
virtual things for people and it's 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 pretty hard to you know convince people to give you a lot of money to make a website or to you know make a logo or something that that is has a much more subjective value than say uh delivering somebody bread every day <clears throat> um but that is something that i truly believe has has importance in the world uh on more levels than just cultural, I think it has importance in the world, uh, monetary, and I think, um, <clears throat> you know, great business ideas are also, <clears throat> excuse me, great business ideas are also great art ideas, um, or great businesses uh, were once great art pieces, uh, and then they became businesses. So, you know, I think, what was the question again? Uh, it was, I was being cynical and saying, doesn't it oh, yeah. be something to sell? Of course. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone wants, you know, it, it would be, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying selling out is the goal. Um, you know, I, I think we live in a world where brand patronage is commonplace, where everyone uh, wants to be associated with billion dollar companies. Uh, especially artists. And so if you can be independent and make money for that, that is like the dream of anyone living in a capitalist society. That's like the definition of freedom is like making money on your own terms, um, with your own ideas and on your own, uh, with your own agency. So having the agency to produce physical objects that could translate into money is like awesome. Uh, yeah, I want to make money from painting. Um, and there's a, there's a total allure, I think, to, um, you know, what, making stuff on, on, on the computer for so long, you totally forget about this, this whole, um, like what I was talking about before, this, this, the, the corporal element of art, which I think is such a huge part of art and the history of, uh, humanity, you know, with the pyramids and the, you know, Arc de Triomphe and all the great architecture in the world and even the great paintings, um, you know, it, it, it all has so much to do with, with the body and has so much to do with the relationship between this physical object and the body. Um, Rothko is, is that, you know, it's, it's the, he's simulating uh, a horizon. Uh, sunset in a binary way you know these these paintings become uh, visceral on the level of scale and once you bring it down to jpeg it doesn't it loses that um, and so re remembering that and recreating that and having the ability to participate in that conversation as a kid a little cyberpunk on the net is like perhaps more exciting than anything. Um, probably like that, that's just like a moot point for most artists who have been creating physical work forever. Um, but for me, you know, when I get a nine foot painting and I'm like standing in front of it and I like remember making it on my phone, I'm like, holy shit, this is fucking, this is like the coolest thing, like to be, uh, physically arrested by this object that, that originated on a, uh, a four inch screen it's it's pretty amazing you know and, and, it, and it really does uh add value added value that um hopefully can 
uh, be translated into into money. Since we're we're sort of we're, I mean we're talking about value, so um, it's a good segue. Uh, and I'm not bringing it up to be controversial, um, mm-hmm. but you also touched on it when you were talking about this idea of the male artist and macho and this archetype. Sure. <clears throat> um, but you've been you've been taken to task recently for this uh, this project you did at the Ace Hotel. Can we talk about it a little bit? Sure. <clears throat> um, so so yeah, that that also uh, plays into what I was saying about the attention economy that we now live in. So the Ace Hotel has a residency where they give artists a room for a night and $50 for art supplies, and they ask you to create a work. Um, and so as I was buying art supplies, uh, I was thinking, you know, I already know in my head, I already, I already can imagine I could write this, the, the things that I would draw down, you know? And so if I can already tell the story of what I would do, how interesting is that? You know, like for instance, with my with my paintings uh, for the Ho series, uh, I I I can't tell that story. When when I when I get a painting back, it's it's an exciting thing because I didn't paint it, and 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 the new context of the size and everything is more exciting uh, than than if than than if I had created the painting from scratch or whatever. To to me, it's 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 the um, there's some surprise element. Uh, that that is that is alluring, and so so I said I don't want to really I don't want to paint I don't want to draw, um, but I'll, I'm going to buy all these art supplies. So I bought some oil sticks um, and some large paper, <clears throat> and um, I decided I would go on to Craigslist and find uh, sex workers to uh, draw for me. And the connection was obviously uh, people oftentimes use uh, hotel rooms to have sex in with prostitutes. Um, so I got to the hotel around seven. I sent about 60 emails out, uh, both soliciting men and women. And I sent them pretty much the same emails, being very forthcoming about my intention, saying, look, I'm not looking to have sex or anything like that. I just want you to come to the hotel room and draw for about 30 to uh, 40 minutes. And I will you know, pay you $80 for your time. And I have all the supplies. And you really just can draw whatever you want. It's very open-ended. Um, and so I found out of, out of that pool of 60 people, about four people responded. One person didn't want to do it because I refused to have sex with them. Um, one person was just really sketched out and I think she thought I was like crazy or something, which is totally understandable. Um, the two people who showed up, uh, one was named Brooke and the other was Jay. And, um, I documented all of this. Uh, I, I actually had, um, the uh, my laptop on my bed of the hotel room with the webcam on, and of course they were informed and they gave me permission on camera and all this, and it was just very quaint. You know, we were sitting around and drawing, and uh, both of their drawings were superb. Uh, Brooke's drawings were were I would say way more primitive and had a had a real raw quality to them. One of the drawings just said fear, for instance. So one of them was like of these kind of uh, deformed flowers that might have been wilting or something like that. And some other drawings that were sort of abstract. Uh, one was kind of like a gate that was like abstract. Jay's drawings, Jay actually had been to, um, art school, which was like a really amazing, uh, and pleasant surprise. Like, what are the chances? Um, you know, I just, 
I didn't really plan this thing at all. I just kind of like emailed a bunch of people the hour I got to the hotel room and the people who came were the people who came. So the serendipity that Jay turned out to be a, a trained artist was, was really superb. And he made some drawings that, the, that like I find to be, uh, quite, quite beautiful in, in a formal way and conceptual way. Uh, a lot of the drawings were reminiscent of, uh, Matisse. Um, very simple lines, a lot of, uh, a lot of curves. Um, most of the content <clears throat> that Jay drew was a sexual, like a cock ring with a cum all over it or an erupting cock. Um, one, one of the drawings was great. It was like a black, cause Jay's black. And so it was like a black hand, um, jerking off a yellow cock. And I assume well, I didn't have white or well, the paper was white. So, the yellow, I guess, is like a white. Co so it's like this nice race relation thing. Anyway, so I, so I, I, I put this all up on my website, and um, I, you know, I documented this very thoroughly and presented it to the public in a way that um, did not really have much of uh, an opinion or anything like that. I just kind of wanted to present Jay and Brooks' work and uh, the the concept itself, and uh, let the public decide. Uh, and have the, have the, the conceptual nature of the artwork speak for itself. And I sensationalized the project by calling it, uh, art horror. And, uh, art horror is actually a pretty common phrase used to describe artists who create work that has little meaning, uh, with just the purpose of, uh, selling, you know, uh, pleasing collectors, um, and appeasing gallerists, uh, is, is, is the common, role of a uh, art whore um and so in today's attention economy uh you know i think artists are expected to work for 50 dollars and free room at the ace hotel uh under the auspicion of is that the right word? yeah of uh of becoming a little more famous um so so yeah, so I just put all this stuff online and like people freaked the fuck out. Why do you think they freaked out? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I think partially why they freaked out is because they want something to freak out about. I think a lot of people have, um, have, uh, anger that they hold in and they're waiting to, uh, lash out at any opportunity where a green light presents itself. Um, and a green light did present itself. Uh, institutions, one institution in particular came out saying that they, uh, you know, regret having ever supported me and they don't condone this work, uh, on the basis that it's unethical, unthinking, and dull was the quote. Um, which I think is uh, sort of contradictory to write about a piece and calling it and call it dull. Obviously, it's not dull if you're writing about it. Um, and I think I think a lot of it has to do with people being scared of being politically correct, or not being people being scared to not be politically correct. I think that's that's pretty much the climate that we live in. We live in this world where. Um, I think privileged white people in particular are extremely worried about upsetting anybody. And so when they see another white person do something that they think is unethical, 
they want to be the first person to lash out and say, you know, this is this is wrong and speak for others. And meanwhile, Brooke and Jay both thought the work was great. And Jay really I showed him all the documentation and he and he really genuinely loves it. Um, and he said, thank you for giving me the opportunity. And I don't understand why people uh, have feel that they have the right to call the work unethical. I totally regardless of. You know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion of an artwork, but um, I think w when they want to play God and uh, put words in other people's mouths and speak for others and, and say something is unethical, I think that that, that, that is actually pretty dangerous um, and is, is not dissimilar to uh, people saying, you know, being gay is unethical or something like that. I think, um, you know, there's nothing unethical about paying anyone to draw for 80 minutes who is a consenting adult <laughs> drawing is uh is a human right but don't you think that there's a um it was a it's a bit of a stretch of a parallel to make in the beginning and and, and what i where i see people getting upset is in the is in the comparison that um that the the plight of an artist is the same that that uh, that a, that a sex worker goes through that, right? The Ace Hotel taking advantage of an artist and saying, Hey, you get the room for a night. You're going to make something for me and I'm going to exploit that is the same as someone paying someone else for sex. Like, of course, it's not the same. If it was the same, the Ace Hotel would have made me fuck them. <laughs> so, right. But lots of people made that parallel. Are you saying that parallel is wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. I did the Ace Hotel. I didn't have to give them a blowjob. But neither did the sex workers have to give me one. So then that's just a misreading of the work. No, I um, paid people who would otherwise give blowjobs to draw. And for you, when you were making the work, were you thinking about... Um, I watched the video, obviously, in preparation for this. Were you thinking about the, is the story for you the work? Is, are, are the actual drawings that, that Jay and Brooke made, are those the works? What, what for you is the work? Um, yeah, it's all of that. It's the documentation, it's the performance, it's the reaction, it's the evolution of the piece, the fact that people can have one feeling to it, a knee-jerk feeling to it when they first read about it, and then possibly in a year, they'll have a totally different reaction. And I think that's why it's strong. Um, has anyone reacted positively to it? Everyone that I respect has acted positive, reacted positively to it. I mean, that's not saying... Well, can you talk about that a bit? Because that's not documented. Right. I, I exactly was just I just saying. did an interview recently with a um a large uh, a, a large gay magazine in Canada and you know the interview was conducted by a guy who is a sex worker and he said he was appalled by the uh all the people who panned the work um and chose that they 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 had the right to speak for other people um and did not understand what the ethical issues were of it um you know i think every single person who either is a sex worker or understands that economy 
or someone who took the time to actually look at the work and read my documentation as opposed to just reading a slanderous tweet, I think doesn't have a problem with the work because it's quite tame. There's nothing that's really that controversial about it. It's people sitting around and drawing and it's the simple sensationalism that was a device on my part that got simple people who don't who understand things in very binary ways to point fingers and that's the same tactics that like fox news uses to you know say that obama is evil or whatever it's this very binary understanding of the world where there are good things and there are bad things and this is the way the world works and it, the world doesn't work like that the world is very gray and very complex and if you don't acknowledge it as such you don't really have great discussion because uh, it's quite it's quite boring to say i hate that and then that's the end of the conversation it's way more interesting to say well this is a good aspect this is a bad aspect maybe it means this maybe it means that and um uh, you know maybe that has different meaning for different people so i think that was to me the best part of the piece is not um it's not necessarily that that it elicited a reaction but it, that it can elicit a reaction that that gets you to have a conversation that is more uh in depth and and more uh expounding and uh uh, introspective than oh I think that looks nice it also brings us back to sort of where we began with with uh, the internet and the, the function of um, you being a, a, a young boy building websites you know that the, the reaction online was seemingly quite one dimensional right people read it in one way and reacted in one way yeah <clears throat> um uh the feed the aspect of the feed on the internet is is one that has the feed has no the feed takes no prisoners <laughs> the feed is voracious and uh is a shark ready to bite um that's the way the news cycle works today uh the most sensational crazy news story floats to the top of the feed and gets a lot of likes um and everyone says oh my god did you hear about x oh my god did you see that oh my god blah 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 for uh, two days and then the next one comes up um these aren't introspective stories they're they're captures they're mere snapshots of reality their headlines break the internet huge ass blah you know they're they're little tidbits they're 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 seductive ploys for attention um and this is the way that we understand reality today because most people not all people but most people don't take time or find pleasure in uh reading or 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 being investigative journalists themselves um 
And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that we are all news sources now. Um, so CNN uh, or Gawker or Artnet or Art Forum all have the same agency that we have to publish. They just have more followers. But if we're all on, uh, if we all live in this democratic society, then we could ourselves post and create content that will get liked um, in ways that their content will too. So it puts us all on a level playing field in a way that that uh, that makes it more. Um, I think I think it really raises the anxiety levels. And so when when you 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 live in a uh, in a world that that's eight that, that that's so anxious, it's it's harder to um, to to sit uh, on the beach and reflect about the world and to be a Zen Buddhist and to think about you know things and to take them in and sit in front of a uh, Degas painting and then you know think about life and all the meaning. <laughs> you know I think I think people have have a very short attention span uh these days and for good reason you know there's there's only so much time on this earth and for you writer will you um will you always create art that can exist online um well i mean everything ex will exist online everything has to exist online okay well art art that's intended to um to to live on that space and not just in a, in a gallery. You know, like the, the in the case of art horror, um, that's not a piece about the internet, but it is a piece with internet sensibilities. Um, when I was like eleven, I remember this image called Goatsy was very popular, which is an image of uh, a guy with his back turned with a wedding ring on. Uh, tearing his asshole apart and it was goatsy.cx was the website and this was a website that would go around and um, make its rounds and people would say oh check this out as a joke and it was like kind of like rick rolling but way more gruesome and this was way before social media so it was all just word of mouth there are people iming it to one another or emailing it and what have you and this to me this image is totally unique to the internet. Like I was 11 years old looking at an image of a guy ripping his asshole apart. You know, like how else on earth in, in, in any other time would I have seen that image? Like just walking on the street and like seeing a postcard and then having zero context for this image as well. And it just gets to you because someone has sent it to you, but they don't even know where it originates from. They don't know this guy's name. They don't know why it exists. Um, so the, so this modality of shock value of, of, uh, decontextualizing things for the purpose of, uh, getting attention, um, for the purpose of creating confusion and for the purpose of illuminating an aspect of life that has otherwise been hidden is, uh, extremely internet to me. And those kind of sensibilities are something that I have uh, naturally because I grew up with them. That's like my culture. Uh, so whether I make art on the Internet or whether I make art in real life or whether I make a performance or whether I make a drawing or 
whatever, it, it's, it's going to have that sensibility because that's my culture. Um, and so the internet <clears throat> itself as a technology has manifested a unique culture, um, that has its own artistic practice and sensibilities. And so for me, um, that's inescapable. Uh, so, you know, whether the internet exists, uh, or let's say all the lines were obliterated, or let's say the government cracked down and, you know, we lived in a totalitarian society without any access to a free internet, I would still work with internet sensibilities because those are the sensibilities I, uh, grew up with. Great answer. Thanks, Ryder.